Okay, Shalom Aleichem. We have uh, an exciting sugya today. We're going to start this week, hopefully finish it up next week, and uh, wrap up the Mishnah that we started already on Dav Chafei. So says the Gemara, how much is a chilas aray that you will eat outside the tzulkah? Two or three bites, according to Rashi. There are a lot of times people have a whole meal with two or three bites, so that can't be the amount of a chilas aray. Because that would constitute a sudas kva, a fixed meal, if that was their entirety of their eating. So therefore, Achilles is defined by how much a person eats before he runs to the base midrash in order to hold him over until he's ready for breakfast. So there we know for sure that that's going to be a snack as opposed to a meal. Now in contrast to Achilles Arai, we have a concept called Shainas Arai. A Shainas Arai we're going to call a catnap. And Shainas Kva, a fixed sleep, we're going to call a Gesundah Shluf, a good Shluf. Right, he went out for good. So we'll turn it up on him. Let's turn a brisa. Person's able to have a good, big meal. I'm saying a person's able to have a snack outside of the sukkah. But a person can't have a catnap outside of the sukkah. My timer. What's the reasoning behind this distinction? Amaravashi. So Ravashi is going to be our first answer to this question. Ravashi says, "Gzira shemayiradim." The reason you can't have a catnap is because if you have a catnap, then you might end up with a good night's sleep. And inasmuch as a good night's sleep outside of the sukkah is asr, so we prohibit rabbinically even a catnap outside of the sukkah because that catnap might involve too a real big shluf. So Amrle Abai, Abai responds, Al-Hadatanya, it was taught in a braisa, Yashin Adam Shainas Arai Bitfilin, a person's able to sleep Shainas Arai in Tfilin. He's able to have uh, a catnap while wearing Tfilin. But he's not able to have a full night's sleep in Tfilin. If we find that in regards to Sukkah, there's a rabbinic concern that maybe he's going to fall into a deep sleep. And therefore, that's going to be also outside the sukkah. So we should also, if wearing tefillin while you're in a deep sleep is forbidden, how could we permit even a catnap while wearing tefillin? That should also be prohibited. So in order to defend Ravashi, Rav Yusuf, the son of Rav Yilui, says, what can you do? You can have an alarm clock. You have someone wake you up. And if you have someone wake you up, then that allays the concern that you might go into a deep sleep. And therefore, that's why you can sleep in Tefillin. Now, seemingly, at this point in the Gemara, according to Yosef, I would also assume that if you have someone that's making sure you don't go into a deep sleep, you could also take a catnap outside of the Sukkot. What's the difference? Samaskifla of Masharshia, of Masharshia challenged Yosef, and he says as follows, Your guarantor also needs a guarantor. Meaning to say, that inasmuch as there's a gzera here, a rabbinic gzera, so what are you going to say? We can allay the concern of 
your cat nap turning into a deep sleep because someone can wake you up, that's not foolproof. Because it could be that your wake-up person might also fall asleep on the job, and therefore no one will be left to wake you up. And inasmuch as the original concern of waking you up, of, of your cat nap turning into a deep sleep, wasn't entirely mitigated, because you can't totally rely on this person who is bound to wake you up. Therefore, the Gezerah still stands in place. If that's true, what do we do with Ravashi in light of Abaye's question? Again, Abaye's question being, what's the difference between Tefillin, where we allow a catnap, as opposed to Sukkah, we don't allow a catnap? Rabbi Barachana said in the name of Rabbi It has to be that the person put his knees between his legs. I'm saying he put his head between his knees, and as much he put his head between his knees, so then physically, it's not possible for the catnap to turn into a deep sleep, because a deep sleep with your head between your knees is also impossible. Now at this stage of the Gemara, I would also assume that, according to Rabbi Barachana, why couldn't it be that I sleep a Shainas Arai also with my head between my knees? I think it would also be permissible. So we're going to have to establish that that which the Brisa says, Shainas Arai, a catnap is forbidden outside of a sukkah, that's only a regular catnap. You put down your head on the pillow or on the sofa or whatever you do, that's going to be forbidden. And similarly, that's also going to be forbidden by tefillin. What does the Brisa mean when it, the Brisa states that you're able to take a catnap wearing tefillin? That's only when your head's between your knees. And similarly, if your head's between your knees, you're also allowed to take a catnap out of the sukkah. That would be my understanding of Ravashi. Rava Omar, Rava comes along and says something different. There's no set fixed time that a person needs in order to revive himself. And therefore, inasmuch as that's true, inasmuch as some people need a good 15 minutes and some people need a good 8 hours, and either way they're going to wake up feeling refreshed, so there's no fixed time for how long a person needs to sleep. Once that's true, any amount of time is qualifies as a Shainas Kva. And therefore, everything is going to be forbidden. So now that we discuss the different options of whether or not Shaina outside of the Sukkah is Asa rabbinically, it's Asa Rashainas Arai is only rabbinic, but where everything Shainas Kva, so now we have a new discussion. Tani Chada Yashin one brace I saw taught that a person is able to sleep uh, a cat nap with tefillin, but not a deep sleep. But Tanidah was taught another brace, uh, a person is able to sleep both a deep sleep and a cat nap. But Tanidah was taught in a third brace, uh, not only can you not have a deep sleep, but you can't even have a cat nap. And all of these braces, these three braces, aren't contradictory. Why? Because we're going to establish them talking about different circumstances. The last one, we said you can't have not only a deep sleep, but even a cat nap. That's when you're holding the twillin in your hands. If you're holding the twillin in your hands, if you even have a cat nap, we're afraid you're going to drop them, that's forbidden. When we said that you can take a cat nap and not a... Uh, deep sleep, that's when they're put, you're wearing your tefillin, and inasmuch as you're wearing your tefillin, if you go into a deep sleep, we're concerned, Rashi tells us, that maybe you'll flatulate while wearing them, and that's forbidden. 
And when we're allowed to sleep, not just a cat nap, but even a deep sleep, that's when your trillin are in a bag. They're covered up, and inasmuch as they're covered up, we're not concerned, even if they do fall. Now, that's the resolution to those three. So now once we established the distinction halacha of Shainas Arai and Shainas Kfa, yes, the Gemara a new question. How long is Shainas Arai? Rabbi Chazakal answered, as long as a person takes to walk a hundred ama. Tani Namihachi was taught similarly in Nebraisa. Yashin Bitfilin, Varayakari, Echiz Beretsu, a person who's sleeping in Tfilin and he has a seminal mission, he should take off the Tfilin holding the straps of the Tfilin, Vena Echiz Bekatsisa, but he shouldn't grab onto the actual Tfilin themselves to remove them. Divir Rabbi Yankov, that's the Rabbi Yankov's opinion. Vachachamamimim, the Chamim disagree. Yashin on a Tfilin, Shena Sarai. According to the Chalmim, a person is able to sleep in his tefillin a catnap. But he's not allowed to sleep a deep sleep. How long constitutes a catnap? He's able to walk up to 100 amas. So now, up until now, that's the simple read of the Gemara. We're going to pause here. We're going to ask some qu- few questions, and we're going to address the different issues that are coming up. So the first thing I'm going to point out is that According to Rav Ashi, the whole prohibition of Shainas Arai, of a catnap, is rabbinic in nature. Why? Because what's the concern? The concern is that you are going to sleep outside of a sukkah. Sleeping outside of a sukkah, if it's a deep sleep, is prohibited because you're nullifying a positive mitzvah. You have an obligation to sleep in the sukkah. And since you have an obligation to sleep in the sukkah and you're nullifying that, that's forbidden. You're not allowed to do so. So Shinas Arai, a catnap, is forbidden lest it turns into a deep sleep. That means that the nature of the prohibition of Shinas Arai is rabbinic. According to Rava, Rava says, in Kvalashena. There's no fixed time for the amount of t- sleep a person needs. If that's true, in Kvalashena, that seems to me that any amount of time that a person sleeps outside the silk is actually going to be prohibited. Because maybe it's Shinas Kva. If that's true, that any amount of time may be a shenas kva, that seems to me that any sleep outside of the sukkah is actually going to be an isadaraisa. It's going to be a biblical prohibition. So our first thing that we want to draw out here is that between Ravashi and Rava, there's a fundamental machlekes in is the discussion of shenas arai a question of a a rabbinic prohibition, that would be Ravashi's stance, or is it a biblical prohibition, that would be Rava's stance. So now that we've clarified these two stances, now we have a, a totally separate issue that I want to bring up, but that was a good introduction. The issue is as follows. The Gemara asks, Abai asks, right, Ravashi just got through saying that when it comes to sukkah, the reason why a catnap is forbidden is because maybe it'll turn into a deep sleep. Asks Abaye, if that's true, so then how come, how come, when it comes to tefillin, we allow you to have a catnap, even though to sleep in tefillin is prohibited, because you're not allowed to flatulate wearing tefillin, and therefore in a deep sleep we're concerned you're going to flatulate. So if that's true, we should also prohibit even a catnap in tefillin, the same way we found we prohibit a catnap in Outside of the sukkah. Now, this question at first glance, glance is not understandable whatsoever. 
Why not? Because even though his assumption is, if we see a concern of maybe going into a deep sleep, that should be addressed across the board. I'll tell you a very simple and basic distinction between the two. When it comes to a deep sleep of wearing tefillin, that's only rabbinically prohibited. Why? Because while you're asleep, you were concerned you're going to flatulate wearing the tefillin. And inasmuch as that's true, Chazal, the Rabbanon, prohibited you to sleep, a deep sleep, wearing tefillin. Whereas when it comes to sleeping outside of a sukkah, deep sleep outside of the sukkah is a, is a biblical prohibition. The Torah forbade that. So now, what are you going to ask me? Why don't we create another safeguard? Maybe you'll go into a deep sleep. I'll tell you very simple. When it comes to sleeping out of a sukkah, that's much more severe. If you go ahead and sleep a deep sleep outside of the sukkah, you're foregoing on a, a biblical mitzvah. That's also on a Torah level. Whereas when it comes to uh, sleeping, a deep sleep, wearing tefillin, that's only a rabbinic prohibition. Maybe that extra safeguard of, of Shemi Yerandim was only said when the prohibition at hand is biblical in nature as opposed to rabbinic. So how did Abai know that this was a legitimate question? This question, is it my question? The Shagas Aryeh asked this, and the Archoner also asked this. I wrote it to you in Source 1 on the source sheet. Now, I want to see together the Archoner's answer to this question, because this is going to be an underlying principle that we're going to carry with us throughout the rest of this year. So to answer this, he says, Perhaps one could say, This is really what Abai's question is. Seemingly, we shouldn't have forbade sleeping uh, catnap outside of the sukkah because we're concerned that maybe you're going to have a deep sleep. Why? Since at the moment that he wants to go to sleep, he didn't uproot the mitzvah of sukkah. Because all he wants to do is he wants to sleep a catnap, which is permissible according to halacha in Ravashi's understanding. And what are we afraid is going to happen? That he's going to end up having a deep sleep after the fact? And that's really mitzvahs. There, there we have a principle called onus. If something happens against someone's will, they're not liable for it. So inasmuch as it wasn't his will to have a deep sleep outside of the sukkah, so we should also be exempt from any punishment. So how come then that, that is where Abai is coming from? So why do we have a gzera? It seems like a legitimate svara. It seems like a good logic. Well, Korchoch has to say, that which we make this decree is because it's almost certain that a person who takes a catnap that usually, normally, almost always when a person takes a nap they end up having a deep sleep. Because when it comes to Shainas Arai, Shainas Arai is only a small amount of time, how long it, however long it takes to walk 100 Amos. And therefore, that's why So similarly, we should also ask, have that decree in regards to Tefillin. Why? Because Tefillin, what are you going to say? 
That tefillin, there's no reason to make a decree because at the end of the day, even a deep sleep is only prohibited rabbinically. So we'll say no. Since a catnap transforms almost always, almost certainly, into a deep sleep, that should be part and parcel of the prohibition of sleeping in tefillin. So therefore, the same way we see that sleeping, that Chazal forbade you to sleep outside because it's almost certain you're going to sleep a deep sleep, even if that wasn't your intent. So similarly, included within the prohibition of tefillin should also be that we don't allow you even a catnap because it's going to transform almost always into a deep sleep. So that was a biased question. If that's a real concern, that should be manifest even by tefillin, even though that prohibition is only rabbinic in nature. So it's interesting to note here that in a certain way what defines Shenas Arai and Shenas Kva, according to Aruch Lener, is not how long you slept. How long you slept is really irrelevant because, let's say, you only planned a Shenas Arai, you only wanted a catnap, and it evolves into a deep sleep. So you're not liable for it. So really, what the interesting thing to note here is that what defines your sleep is how long you intended to sleep. It doesn't really mean how long you actually slept for, right? Again, because if you had to only plan a catnap and you end up sleeping a deep sleep, you're not liable for the rest for that deep sleep. You didn't nullify a mitzvah essay or an onus on the Stachman Now like this. What happens, if that's true, what happens if someone plans a Shainas Kva, but instead of sleeping in the sukkah, they decide they're going to sleep inside their house. So even though right now they're obligated to sleep in the sukkah, they say, no, I want to sleep in my house, I'm sick of this, I don't like being outside, etc., etc. Yeah, so now they go lie down in the house, and five minutes in, the kids come home, the music's on, they wake up, and they got a Shainas Arai. Did they transgress an Isser, Deraisa? Were they over a prohibition, a biblical prohibition? They went to sleep intending to have a deep sleep. They slept. But against their will, they woke up and it was transformed into a catnap. What's the halacha there? Does everything go based after his intent? Or no, does it go based after what occurred in practicality? So here I think it would be the opposite. My assumption is that inasmuch as he didn't end up having a deep sleep, even though that's what he wanted, so he wouldn't be held liable for nullifying him into the essay. Because at the end of the day, practically speaking, he didn't do the action that the Torah forbade. So he had to come up with a, an interesting dichotomy. That on one hand, in regards to the prohibition, what defines the prohibition is what you actually did. Did you sleep uh, a full deep sleep? More than a catnap. At the same time, you're only held liable for that when you had intent to do so. Because if you only had intent for a catnap and you ended up transforming that catnap into a deep sleep, since that wasn't your plan, it was against your will, there we have the normative clause of Onis, and there you were not held liable for it. So you end up with this interesting dichotomy. Now, that's all within the stance of L'Archaner. Right, the Archaner is explaining the Gemara according to Ravashi. The Bukhariyankiv is a, a Sefer Halacha that was written on Hilchosukkah, and he says like this 
Hamagin Avram v'hataz kasvu atam. The Magin Avram and the Taz wrote the reasoning behind why a person is forbidden to sleep, even a cat nap outside of the sukkah. Not like Ravashi, but rather like Rava, that there's no fixed amount of time a person needs to sleep. The because sometimes a person suffices with just a little bit. And that's what Rabbi answered. With the and according to this, says the Bukhariyankiv, that even according to the Yesh Omrim, the opinion brought in the forty in the forty fourth sif, the forty fourth clause in Shulchan Aruch, that the amount of time to share the amount of time of sleep that's prohibited, even rabbinically, is a meyama, the length of time that it takes to walk a hundred amos. Nonetheless. Since the svar is like Rava, the svar of Rava being that we don't know how much a person suffices with, therefore even less than Mea'ama is going to be prohibited. So now it comes out that there's two practical differences between the Bukhura Yankov and the Arachaner. According to the Arachaner, the whole prohibition we're discussing is only rabbinic in nature, because it's going like Ravashi. And secondly, the amount of time a person has to sleep in order to transgress the Daraisa is more than it takes for a hundred 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 ama. But less than a hundred ama would not even be Shainas Arai, which is forbidden whatsoever. But according to the Bukulayan Kiv, the discussing here a Torah prohibition, inasmuch as we're going with the answer of Rava, and then that Torah prohibition, even less than the amount of time a person sleeps, um of Kidehiluk Ama. Right, for any time, a hundred amas is probably what is probably about a hundred meters. So, the amount of time it takes to a person walk a hundred meters, that's called the time period of Arai. Even less than that, according to the Bikur Yankiv, is going to be Isadaraisa, which is an unbelievable difference. The halacha, you know, whether we go like Rava or we go like Ravashi. Now, the Sefer Achinuch says something very, very interesting here, and I'm going to talk about this for a second. The Sefer Achinuch in Mitzvah. Shin Chafei is discussing the mitzvah of Yeshiva Sukkah, says as follows, The mitzvah of sitting in a sukkah applies in every location during, for all for eternity. For males and not for females. The reason being because it's a mitzvah it's a time-bound mitzvah which women are exempt from. And a person who transgresses this. And he didn't eat his sandwiches in the, in the sukkah. And he didn't sleep there, even a Shainas Arai. And he's not sick, and he's not uh, being annoyed by the Sukkah itself, or for the other exemptions that we said earlier. They nullify this mitzvah. Now I want to make a precise reading in here. The Sefer Chinuch says, He didn't sleep in it. And even a Shainas Arai, meaning to say that according, we, first of all, we see that a person who sleeps Shainas Arai outside of the Sukkah transgresses a Mitzvah Daraisa. So that's for sure going like Rava. That's number one. So if you're going to ask, does the Chinuch go like La'arach Lanair, the Bekura Yankov? He goes like the Bekura Yankov, that the trans. 
transgression of sleeping, even a shenas aray outside of the sukkah, is actually biblical and not rabbinic. That's number one. But number two, what's the amount of time a person needs in order to transgress this biblical prohibition? It seems like the Sefer al-Chinuch is it specifically limited to Shainas Arai. Now, in the world of the Bukhura Yankiv, there's no such concept as Shainas Arai. Inasmuch as we never know how much a person needs in order to sleep. So therefore, any amount of sleep he's going to claim is biblically prohibited. But whereas when it comes to the Sefer al-Chinuch, it sounds like even though he holds that Shainas Arai is a biblical prohibition like Rava, Anything less than Shein Asarai, anything less than it takes to walk a hundred Amas is going to be permitted. Now why is that? Maybe that amount of time that he slept, even though it was less than the amount of time it takes to walk a hundred Amas, that qualifies, that suffice, that he suffices with that in order to refresh himself. So why would that not create uh, a prohibition the same way the Bukhari said? So this question, I would know how to answer four different ways, I think. You tell me what you think, if you agree with them, you don't agree with them. I think there are four different ways to address this question. Number one is if the whole prohibition, according to Rava, is that we don't know how much a person needs to, in order to revive himself and refresh himself, maybe the Sefer Achinoch understood that no person ever feels refreshed, though, with less than the amount of time it takes to walk 100 amma. So even, let's say, if it takes a minute to walk 100 amma, there's no person that will feel refreshed with 55 seconds. And inasmuch as that's true, so then, even according to Rava's logic, there's never going to be a Torah prohibition on less than that amount of time. That would be my first approach. Number two, is that maybe if a person sleeps for less than the amount of time to walk a hundred amos, that's not even called that he's sleeping. The Swasemis here I brought you in source four says this within this little excerpt that I brought you. He says this Svara, that maybe if a person closes his eyes and rests and maybe even loses consciousness to a certain degree, but it's for less than the amount of time that it takes to walk a hundred amos, that doesn't qualify as sleep. It's not considered sleep halachically. And that's why it would be permitted. Answer number two. Answer number three, maybe, Shainas Arai, according to the Sefer Chinuch, is even less than a hundred amma. Meaning to say that the Gemara wouldn't ask, Kama Shainas Arai, how much is what constitutes a shenas arai, and in two different prices it brought that it meant a hundred amma, and it was clear from the Bukura Yaakov that he understood that to mean that up into from a hundred amma and onwards that was shire, that was the amount of shenas arai, and less than that wasn't even shenas arai. Maybe the chinuch disagrees with that, and even less than maya amma also is considered shenas arai. And therefore, there would be no dispute between the Sefer Chinuch and the Bekor Yankov. The only dispute would be, was, is there a concept of Shainas Arai or not? Number four would be that maybe the Bekor Yankov would agree 
that Shainas Arai, you need a Shainas Arai in order to be Asar Midaraisa, to be uh, biblically forbidden. But according to Bekorah Yankiv, less than a Shainas Arai would still be prohibited rabbinically. Right? So it would be, maybe he would agree with the Sefer Achinuch that the Torah only prohibited a Shainas Arai, a hundred Amma. And the fact that he says even less than that would be forbidden, that might be only rabbinic in nature. So it would be the four ways I would know to explain this stance of the Chinuch. Why, would it, why it is that we're able to propose that even according to Rava that says Ein Kvala that would only kick in with the amount of Shainas Arai of Kadeh Hilach Me'a'ama and not automatically like the Bikur Yankov said. So now up until this point we've been saying that according to the Arach Laner, the reason why a person might have an exemption from a, a Torah prohibition if they sleep a Shainas Arai and that transforms into a Shainas Kva is because on that deep sleep, he's an onus. It happened against his will and therefore he's not liable for it. I want to go ahead now. I want to discuss two different sources and challenge whether or not that's true. Let's challenge the veracity of the Aruch stance. So says the Gemara, the Gemara is in source 5, a person was eating in the sukkah, rain came, and he goes out of the sukkah, he leaves the sukkah. We don't make him go back into his sukkah until he finishes that meal, which he's in the middle of. He was sleeping in his sukkah, and the rain fell, and he went downstairs. He left the sukkah. We don't make him go back up until daytime. Right? We don't make him wake up in the middle of the night, even though the rain stopped, to go back into the sukkah. We let him stay out of the sukkah. So now the Gemara proposes a new question. The Gemara asks, when it says until... We don't make him go into the sukkah until... Well, the Gemara said originally until there was light. Does that really mean until he wakes up? Until he wakes up? Until light shines, until dawn, until daybreak. Tashma, we're going to come and prove. Until dawn. And the dawn breaks. Yes, the Gemara. Tarti. How come it says? It's redundant. Rather say until he wakes up and dawn breaks also. I Meaning you need both of them. You need that it's dawn, it's daytime, and he wakes up. So if he wakes up in the middle of the night but it's not dawn, so he can stay inside the house. Or if day breaks but it's 7 o'clock and he didn't wake up yet, so you can also let him sleep. Only when both of them happen. So it comes along Rashi and it says, it has to be that he has to wake up. And this is what it means to say. Until he wakes up, until dawn break. Coming to exclude, if he woke up from his sleep at night time. What's the reason we don't wake him up? Because it's a tircha. Now, according to the Arch Lanier, maybe we could propose that it should have said something different. The reason we don't wake him up isn't because of a concept of Tircha, Dein Mashich, and the reason we don't wake him up is because right now, he's not doing anything wrong. He has an exemption of onus. 
So maybe we could propose that this Rashi is a question on the principle being expressed by the Archaner. Now, I think this proof is debatable, but the next proof I want to bring you, I think, is irrefutable. It's a run. So let's see the run. So I want to start from the end of the fourth line of the run, where he's talking already in the text of the Ga'inim. He says, But even after the figure says, oh, even according to the text that the Ga'inim had in front of them, if he doesn't wake up, we don't wake him up and make him go back to the sukkah, even when dawn breaks, until he wakes up. And it's no different than Suda from his meal that we say that he can continue to eat until he finishes his meal. When he finishes his meal, he has to go in the sukkah. Now, what's bothering the Ran is, how come we don't have to wake him up? If he already, if the rain stopped already and he can go back in the sukkah and have a nice sleep there, how come we don't make him do it? How come we don't wake him up? Says says the the run because it's comparable to Suda. What's bothering him? Why is he asking such a question? Because seemingly there's a problem with sleeping outside of the sukkah. Why is there a problem sleeping outside of the sukkah? When he went to sleep, he was allowed to go to sleep. It was raining outside. Ah, it's a deep sleep. The deep sleep's not a problem. Why is it not a problem? Because he's an ones. So if he's an ones, how come the Ran is asking, maybe we should have to wake him up and have him go inside? And he answers, no, because it's like a meal. We do the same way we don't make you go back out into the sukkah while you're in the middle of the meal, since you started eating inside permissibly. Similarly, when it comes to sukkah, sleeping outside the sukkah, we don't make you go sleep in the sukkah. That's not, the, that's not true. The reason is because of ones. So this, this Ran is very problematic according to the Arach Laner. So now, in order to try to alleviate this difficulty, I brought for you uh, a Maral Diskin. The Maral Diskin would be a Shuleib Diskin, was a contemporary of Cook. He was the chief rabbi of Yerushalayim. Of Cook was the chief rabbi of Afo. He was the chief rabbi of Yerushalayim at the same time. And the Goyen of Goyenim, Mamash, one of the biggest Talmudic sages we had, you know, in the past century, for sure. So now he's coming to address a Mishnah. The Mishnah is talking about, let's say, a person sleeping in a sukkah, and there's a beam on top of the sukkah, that the beam is so big that if they are underneath the beam, so it'll prevent them from fulfilling mitzvah sukkah. So now are they allowed to go to sleep in the sukkah? Because maybe while they're asleep, they're going to roll over and end up underneath the beam. That's the question that we're coming to address. He's coming to address... Now, obviously, the connection here is uh, very clear, right? If a person is allowed to sleep, Shainas Arai, according to Ravashi, just we prohibit it because maybe he'll go and go into a deep sleep. So if sleeping in the sukkah is permissible, so then even if you end up rolling under the beam, so who cares, right? The same thing. Yeah, when it comes to sleep, a, a catnap, that we prohibit. And sleeping inside the sukkah, even though there's a big beam inside, we don't prohibit it. What's the difference? So the Maral Diskin wants to say the difference is as follows. Now, what happens when a person, what allows a person to take a catnap? What allows him to take the catnap is the amount of time that he's going to be actually sleeping. 
the fact that it's only for a short period is what lets him close his eyes in the first place. Whereas, what allows a person to go to sleep when there's a beam inside the sukkah? The fact that right now, he's in a sukkah, and you're allowed to sleep in a sukkah. So this, the, the reason of the allowance of closing your eyes is totally, is very distinct to the different from each other. Now why does that distinction make a difference? As follows. So when a person is taking a catnap, inasmuch as what's allowing them to close their eyes outside of the sukkah is the shortness of time, when that allowance disappears because their eyes have been shut for too long, so now that transforms that whole being of that whole episode of sleep to have no allowance. If there's no allowance, then you have an issue. We have to kick you out. You have to wake you up. That's forbidden. You're not allowed to sleep like that. Whereas, when it comes to the sukkah, what allowed the person to close his eyes in the sukkah in the first place? The fact that there was schach on top of his head. So now he rolls over and there's no more schach on top of his head. There, you still have an exemption of ones. I, the reason for your allowance isn't here anymore. It's not true. What was his allowance? The fact that there's schach here? There is still schach here. He just happened to roll out from underneath the schach against his will. Whereas when it, in contrast, when it came to sleep, the whole allowance was the shortness of time. But that shortness of time long passed, and therefore the original allowance doesn't exist. It's no reality of it. So the schach is still here in the sukkah. If he rolls over again, he's still going to be underneath the schach, and that's going to be a permissible state of being. The reason that allowed him to sleep is still in the world. Whereas when it comes to Shainas Arai, once the person passed the time of a catnap, and he went into a deep sleep, so there's no way to go back, there's no way to revert the situation. That original allowance is not in existence anymore. And therefore, we have to wake him up. He's not allowed to do it. We have to prevent him even from going in that catnap in the first place. That's the distinction that the Maharal Diskin wants to make. So in summary, what's going to be the determinant of whether or not a person goes into a situation of ones? Do we allow him to do so or not? Is the original basis for that allowing him to go to sleep in the first place, is that still going to be in existence even when he sleeps for longer than he wants or he goes into that state of sleep which is questionable. So when it comes to a prohibition of sleep outside the sukkah, which is based off time, so that doesn't exist anymore. And therefore, even though there is a question of ones, right, that ones we're not going to allow you to exempt yourself because the reason for the heter, the reason for the allowance, doesn't exist because you passed the amount of time that originally was the reason you could close your eyes. So that's going to be the explanation why even according to the Arach Lener, that seemingly you should have an exemption of Oynes since you didn't have entire intent for the deep sleep in the first place, we're still going to prohibit the catnap because you're going to end up in a situation where you're sleeping in a deep sleep where the original allowance to close your eyes in the first place is non-existent. And that's going to be our explanation of the Arch Laner in light of these questions. Now, once that's true, I want to pose a new shayla, a new question. What's the halacha of a person who falls asleep 
He didn't want to fall asleep. He actually wanted to stay awake. But he falls asleep outside of the sukkah. Yeah, he's on a bus. He's going to go visit someone in sukkahs. And he has a book. He's reading his book. And he falls asleep while reading. He wasn't planning on it. He didn't want to. He had a lot to accomplish. So now, is that person, do we have to wake him up or not? Is that considered a shenas arai shalikadin? Right, he went to sleep, so obviously he's not going to be liable for the Shainas Kva, for the deep sleep, because there it's an Ones. He had no intent for it. But the Shainas Arai was still forbidden. Or, no, there's not even a consideration that you have to wake him up, since, since there was no intent whatsoever for sleep, so he's totally, totally not liable. So now, according to the Maharal Diskin, I would assume that this would constitute a Shainas Arai, which is forbidden. And if it's a Shainas Arai, which is forbidden because the basis for the allowance of closing his eyes in the first place doesn't exist anymore, therefore you'd have to wake him up. He's transgressing a rabbinic prohibition right now. We have to stop him. I'll tell you that there's a Shmua, there's, a, there's an oral tradition that Rav Shlemazam and Arabach said that a person who falls asleep outside a sukkah, you don't have to wake him up. Not only that, he said even more that a person who, let's say you have in a, you're in a yeshiva, and the yeshiva only has a sukkah a certain size, it can't fit all the bachram. So what did Hashem Zaman Arbach say to do? He said you should go, and when all the bachram should go to sleep in the sukkah, when it's full, the next bachram wants to go in, he should take one of the guys who's already sleeping, pull his mattress out of the sukkah, and he should put his mattress inside, in as much as he's sleeping. So he's an onus, you don't have to worry about it. Nothing concerned, nothing doing. You're allowed to pull him out, and you go sleep inside. Clearly, Roshim Azam and Arabach is assuming that falling asleep outside of the sukkah, when you had noted in it to do so, is totally permissible. Or else how could he go ahead and tell you that you can pull someone out? So now I want to bring you two sources, which seemingly would be questions on Roshim Azam and Arabach. The first one is a Ramah in Hilchas Yerodeya. The Ramah is talking about a Kohen who fell asleep. A Kohen is not allowed to be in the same room as a deceased dead person, a dead body. So what happens if a Kohen goes to sleep and then someone passes away in the same room that he is sleeping in? So there the Halacha is that you have to wake him up in order for him to leave. So we see very clearly that you have to have a person sleeping even though he didn't fathom someone was going to die in the same room. Nonetheless, you have to remove him from that situation. So how come we don't have to take the guy and wake him up and say, hey, you're not in a sukkah? So I would assume the answer is that when it comes to the Kohen, they were talking about a lav. We're talking about a prohibition. Whereas here, when it comes to a sukkah, we're not talking about a person who's actually transgressing a lav. There's no prohibition. But it's the nullification of a positive mitzvah. He has to be in the sukkah and he's not doing it. So there, maybe is not a proof against Rishon Zaman. The next source seems to be a bit problematic. The next source, the Shulchan Aruch says, let's say a person is sleeping, and they slept, they overslept, and it's getting to be Zman Kriyashma. And we know a person has to say Kriyashma up to the third, up to the end of the third hour of the day. If he doesn't say it, he, he missed a positive mitzvah. So there, the halacha is that we bother him until he wakes up, and he says the first pasuk of Kriyashma. After he says the first pasuk of Kriyashma, we leave him alone. But we wake him up until he says the first pasuk. So if there, we're waking up a person, in order for him to fulfill 
a positive mitzvah. So then, how come when it comes to sukkah, the assumption is that we wouldn't wake him up in order for him to fulfill the positive mitzvah? Right now, he's nullifying it. So this question, I think, is more difficult. I think there is a way to get out of it. Um, it depends a little bit on on uh, the parameters of Mitzvah's Kriyashma. So it's beyond our scope right now. But I think this question is a strong question. I don't think it's it's a, a disproof against him, but I think it's a very strong question on Rishon Mizaman Arbach. Now, in general, you know, how could it be that Rishon Mizaman said you're able to pull a person out of the sukkah while they're sleeping? You know, very good, you want to go to sleep in the sukkah, but maybe while they're sleeping, they're also fulfilling a mitzvah of being in the sukkah, right? Meaning to say that who said you have the right because you want to do a mitzvah of sleeping in the sukkah, that you could take away someone else's mitzvah of sleeping in the sukkah. Now, I'm making an assumption. The assumption that I'm making is that while a person's asleep, they actually are able to fulfill mitzvahs, right? So this is a big discussion. There is a Talmud Yushalmi in Mesechas Brachos, in the third parak in Halach uh, Gimel. There, according to the Gra, the Athenayim, it's a, there's an explicit Gemara that a person is able to fulfill mitzvah sukkah while they're asleep. Even while they're sleeping, they get schar for the mitzvah. So according to this Yushalmi, I would know of no allowance to pull a guy out of the sukkah while he's sleeping. There's a Steichemid. The Steichemid brings that a person who's sleeping in his tzitzis, when he wakes up in the morning, doesn't make a bracha. Why not? Because since he's been constantly fulfilling the mitzvah since he put him on the day before until now. So it doesn't necessitate a new birchas mitzvah. So it's clear according that steichemet that a person is able to fulfill mitzvahs even while they're asleep. The Mishnah Brewer brings a Magin Avram which brings an Arizal that a person is supposed to sleep in the tzitzis at night. So now the Magin Avram himself attacks it a little bit. But at least the Arizal you know is brought as saying the person is able to he doesn't even attack the halach, he attacks the proof of the Arizal. But the Arizal is saying that there's a mitzvah of tzitzis that you fulfill while wearing them at night. So if that's true, so how could it be that a person is able to pull the friend out of the sukkah if while in the sukkah he's yes fulfilling a mitzvah? So in order to answer this, I'm going to give you a little background information. This is a fascinating discussion. Um, the discussion is as follows. That... What happened? How is a person? You know, we know that there's a mitzvah. There's a concept called mitzvah sichas kavana. That in order to fulfill a mitzvah, you have to have a positive intent to fulfill that mitzvah. For example, when you go and eat matzah leila seder, if you have no intent whatsoever, so you're eating a sandwich. If you have intent to fulfill the mitzvah belaylas belaylas that you have a mitzvah to eat matzah at nighttime. So then you're fulfilling. You're not eating a sandwich. You're actually doing a mitzvah deraisa. It depends on your intent. It's a halacha mafereshes in the Shulchan Aruch, Simen Samech, Sif Gimel. The Shulchan Aruch holds that we hold, we, the halacha you have to have intent whenever you're fulfilling a mitzvah. So now, how in the world can a person who is sleeping have intent to fulfill a mitzvah? They went to sleep, right now they're unconscious, they don't have intent for anything. So how in the world could we say that they're fulfilling a mitzvah? We know there's a principle called Mitzvah Kavana. So to address this, I would say as follows. That really, mitzvah sichas kavana doesn't mean that the whole time that you're fulfilling a mitzvah, you have to be cognizant of that fact. Actually not. 
Mitzvah Zrichas Kavana is meant to define the action that I'm doing. I'm biting that matzah. I have to be thinking matzah, smitzvah, matzah, smitzvah, matzah, smitzvah the whole time I'm chewing? No. Inasmuch as I define this action as a mitzvah, so now I can enjoy the eating. I can sit back, enjoy, lean to my side, and eat some matzah. Enjoy it. I'm eating. So if that's true, so once I define that action, as long as I didn't stop performing it, as long as I didn't stop doing it, so then I still, it's considered like I'm doing performing the mitzvah the whole time. So now, what would he say to that? The, the logic sounds pretty clear. I would assume, his assumption is that there's a difference between a lack of paying attention and a lack of consciousness. And when a person's not conscious, he's not able to fulfill a mitzvah. Now, Rishama Zalman speaks about this in a tshuva in Mincha Shleiman, it's a controversial tshuva. The tshuva, he says as follows, a person goes to sleep and sits at night. We know that to wear a garment with four corners without tzitzis, you're nullifying a mitzvah's essay midaraisa. Right? You're negating a mitzvah's essay. It's forbidden to do so. So a person goes to sleep wearing tzitzis. Now he falls asleep. He doesn't have any intent for the mitzvah tzitzis. Says of Shemazalman, that's tantamount to sleeping in a garment with four corners that doesn't have tzitzis. And therefore, the entirety of that time that he's sleeping with his tzitzis on, he's transgressing a mitzvah deraisa. Transgressing a mitzvah deraisa. He's sleeping without tzitzis. Unbelievable. So now, that makes a lot of sense of Shemazalman's other things, right? Shemazalman that says you don't have to wake up the guy that's sleeping outside the sukkah, very understandable. Right now, he's not obligated in mitzvahs. No problem. Ah, he's, he's not in the sukkah. He's not obligated to be in the sukkah. He's exempt. He's asleep. The guy, you pull him out of the sukkah. No problem. He's exempt. He's asleep. The guy wearing tzitzis. No problem. He's exempt. There is a problem. The garment's on him. And the garment's on him without the mitzvah tzitzis. The garment's on him without the mitzvah tzitzis. There he's liable. There we have a problem. The moment he wakes up, his consciousness, you're wearing a garment without tzitzis. Oy vavoy. There's an isa that's Rishlam Azalman's take. Now, according to the Rishalmi that we said before, so Rishlam Azalman, it's not true. You can actually fulfill a mitzvah. According to the Steichem, it's not true. According to the Magen of Ram, it's not true. So even though in Svara we can understand the logic behind Rishlam Azalman, the sources in the Chazal and the Achrinim seem to imply not like him. I'll tell you a nice anecdote and we'll end with this. I once, when I was a... Uh, a bacher in yeshiva, I saw this tshuva from Rav Zalman, and I was very upset from it. And, uh, you know, I went to go talk with Rav Vigdor Nevensal. Rav Vigdor Nevensal was Rav Zalman's chavrusa for 35 years, and he held that Rav Zalman was his rabbi. And right now he's one of the current, you know, G'dayle Hador. He's one of the biggest Rabbanim that exists, one of the biggest Tamil that we have nowadays. So I went to talk to him about this. And he told me that every single thing that Rishon Zalman ever told him, he is, he is careful to fulfill. He's, he thinks that's the halacha. With one exception, the one exception is this din. <laughs> this halacha, this tshuva that he wrote about mitzvah sikhas kavana, that when a person's asleep, so they have no intent, and therefore all the ramifications that come with it, he said he doesn't think it's true, and this is the one exception to his rule. So, yeah. Whether or not you want to put tzitzis on, whether it's an obligation, it's a mitzvah, it's a whole different discussion. But a prohibition, we're saying it's not.